0: Welcome to Women Over 70, Aging Reimagined, and dedicated to silencing the chatter about what women should and shouldn't be doing as they age. Here to bring you stories about women in their 70s, 80s, and 90s, women who are leading inspiring lives that make a difference to themselves and others, are Catherine Marino and Gail
1: Zalitsky. Hi, I'm Catherine. And I'm Gail, and we are the active voice of Women Over 70, Aging Reimagined. Welcome to our weekly podcast. Our mission is to showcase vital women between the ages of 70 to 100 plus who shatter the myth that we become irrelevant as we age. These women lead fulfilling lives for themselves and others. Visit our website, womenover70.com, where you can access all the episodes. We also invite you to join our monthly podcast club, and we welcome speaking to your organization or group on Aging Reimagined. If women aging is a market you would like to reach, consider sponsoring an episode. Finally, if you are an author with a book about women, check out our book promotion opportunity.
0: Today, we are very happy to be in conversation with Margot Wallace, age 79, from Chicago, Illinois. Margo is a marketer, academic and author. She was a writer and creative director for J. Walter Thompson, now JWT, a global advertising agency. At age 62 with a master's degree from DePaul University, Margo became an assistant professor of marketing at Columbia College, Chicago and received tenure four years later. She authored four books on museum branding, an area of study that she pioneered, Margot spoke on museum branding throughout the United States and abroad. And since her retirement at age 70, now in a volunteer capacity, Margot develops and teaches semester-long courses for the Osher Lifelong Learning Institute at Northwestern University. Margot's insatiable curiosity is reflected in her wide-ranging topics, from Frankenstein to Eleanor Roosevelt, from baseball stories to 6,000-year-old cities, to speeches that changed the world. After becoming a young widow at 30 years ago, Margot learned to enjoy solo living, traveling, dining and living alone. Her secret to aging is as she says, to know where you get your energy from and pursue that. So welcome Margot to women over 70 aging reimagined. Thank you. I'm glad to be here. You know Margot, I met you through what was then the School for New Learning at DePaul University and, followed your early work in museum branding. So um, please share some highlights about your pioneering work in this field.
2: Well, as I reviewed it, one of the things I realized is that I was a pioneer in the field. I should have recognized it earlier when I started um, looking into museum marketing and there were no books on it there were very few books on not-for-profit marketing or arts marketing. And then when you get to, at, at that point, I thought, well, maybe I'll do something a little different. Maybe instead of just how museums advertise themselves or quote-unquote market themselves, um, it occurred to me in a moment of inspiration that maybe I should get into branding, how museums create an identity for themselves. Um, and then when I, looked at that aspect of it, a whole other way of looking at museums kind of opened up. Museums need branding. They need an identity to build loyalty and um, to get donors and to get sponsors and to get businesses involved. They need it for money. Museums need to market themselves because they need money. They don't support themselves and Americans don't realize that the government doesn't support museums like it does in Europe. At that point, this idea really got a whole new perspective. And and I must say a little bit of attention from that, when you look at it from that way, very much from a business point of view, very few people had ever even mentioned that thought out loud. Museum people are arts people teachers and um it's not their job to find the money somebody else out there finds the money and uh, and then all of a sudden they had to be those someone else especially in smaller museums and you um you you
0: said that writing books was a has been a highlight of your life and you always wanted to publish a real book so (laughs) how did you how did you um come to write four books on museum?
2: Well, um, I I have been writing since I was a child, and I I never put two and two together. At some point, um, when I started doing a lot of freelance travel articles and lifestyle articles, that was mostly in my 20s, um, I realized that what I really wanted to do was write a book, and I had no idea how to do it. So uh, I went about 40 years before it suddenly occurred to me that I could write a book on all this research I had done on museums. And, um, you know, may- maybe this is a little lesson for a lot of people who write books. I don't know. But the table of contents became clear to me. Then I realized if I could have a table of contents of 15 chapters and each chapter had enough in it to interest me to fill 30 pages, 3 mm-hmm. I had a book. And, and then, and it, then I know how to do it. Now we're talking mostly here nonfiction. I understand, but but mm-hmm. um, maybe it works for other things. Books are a lot of work. They're long. You don't realize even slim books are, are lots of pages. Mm-hmm. And um, when I when I did that outline in my head, I realized I had so much to say and so much I wanted to say. And then I also realized what I didn't know and how to go about finding it. And then it got very exciting. Mm -hmm. And um, I was able to, at that point of my life, also to combine museum research with visiting museums in person. And that was a way to travel. Mm -hmm. So all those things kind of really fit together. Fun to travel. I do like to travel alone. But, you know, you have to have something to do when you travel structure so that was my structure I would go to places where that have museums that I wanted to see and uh I did an awful lot of observing a lot of note-taking and and because this was all new territory branding I um I didn't have to talk to a lot of people I talked to people who knew understood what I was driving at and other than that I just observed for myself Mm. And then your book was published, and you
0: began. You were speaking at conferences, you uh, in the United States and abroad. I, I know you spent time in France. What were some of those highlights?
2: As presidents of the United States have noticed, <laughs> and other politicians, if you write a book, you get attention. And if you write a book, you don't have to. You don't have to um, blast about yourself. You can just say, well. I wrote this book, this will tell you what I'm doing, in effect. So so that was sort of good publicity for me. Um, some of the conferences I went to ha- knew about me from the book. You know, they were museums. Um, a lot of the conferences I went to, I just frankly, I paid for myself. You know, it's co- Columbia College was not sending me out to give, I mean, that is not what Columbia College does. Uh, you know, once a year, maybe, but I went to a lot Mm -hmm. of conferences because they were fun. Mm -hmm. And I, I spoke at workshops. I got a lot of feedback from workshops. So that was fun. And, um, and then museums did start to email me specifically. Would you possibly be available to speak? (laughs) Possibly available? (laughs) Of course. (laughs) And, um, I also could afford to pay my own airfare. That was helpful. Mm -hmm. I I don't know if this falls into rules for living over 70, but um, believe me, it helps to have some money. (laughs) (laughs) Well said. You know,
0: Margo, I've known you to be a remarkably uh, curious person. And um, so I just, how do you, and you like to work. You like to be engaged. I was wondering how, just say a little bit more about how these attributes have, have served you.
2: Well, um, a lot of curiosity is solo work. And I realized, especially when I was perhaps under 70, that meant a lot of running around, literally physical running around. And um, I love that and was able to do it. Um, but Because I had something specific to either ask or talk about, um, I was not shy about calling people. I really don't like talking on the phone. It is hard for me in a group to go out and meet people. I I know how to do it, but I don't like it. Mm -hmm. Um, But if I have something specific to ask them, it makes it a lot easier. And of course, they're very happy to talk. So that was just kind of a, A a technique for following up on my curiosity. It's hard for me to remember now how I did that. It wasn't just at museums, it wasn't just at my classes, um, both at Columbia and then later after I retired at Osher. uh, But it made it a lot easier for me to just approach in person people I'd never seen before or seen and didn't know and start talking to them. Um, mm-hmm. I'm trying to think of other examples of curiosity, and it happens every day. Every day, I see or hear or read something, and I follow up on it. <clears throat> um, and it doesn't take very long. I just, just the other day, I, I emailed a man in the class. He he'd given a very good presentation, and and um, I thanked him and I said, you know, you. had some really interesting thoughts on skyscrapers and skyscrapers might be interesting for a whole course. And um, I did a little research, but not much. And then I realized I'd followed through that little thread Mm. of curiosity. It took me all of maybe 15 minutes. Mm. didn't take very long to follow up on it, but, but I did. And now I've told you, (laughs) I'll probably tell a few other people and that might, that actually might develop into something. Something more interesting piques my interest. Mm-hmm. I will be following that. And um, really, it's not very hard for me. <laughs> Google makes it right. every, so Doesn't everybody do simple. it that way? <laughs> and, you know, if, if it comes to fruition in my head, I will do a lot more serious research on it. But just, mm-hmm. you know, follow up on an idea these days mm-hmm. is pretty simple. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I'm yes. kind of
1: surprised. Yes. How, I'm sorry. Go ahead, Gail. Yes, thank you. How did you get so interested in the Osher Institute of Learning? Um, well, I'd heard a few people talk about it
2: before I retired. And by the way, for about five years before I retired, I tried all kinds of other, went to meetings and luncheons and, and it bored me silly. Um, and one thing I liked about Osher was their format is... The classes aren't taught. They're discussion groups. Mm -hmm. And a person at the head of the table is a facilitator. Now, you have to be a very good facilitator, I discovered, because if you're at the head of the table, people think you're the teacher. But if, if you're a good facilitator, you disabuse them of that and you find the people in the class. You empower them, actually, is what you do, because these are all smart people. So so, anyway, that's how I got involved with Ausher. How did I discover it in the first place? I was pretty lucky because, frankly, I don't think they do a good good enough job of marketing themselves. But they've always had uh, a following. Mm -hmm. They have uh, two campuses in Evanston and Chicago and combined 1,500 students. That's a small college by any definition.
1: It's a, a particular type of learning, right? I, I know a number of people who go to Osher and who have taken courses. Uh, Eleanor Roosevelt you, was one thing that you had mentioned, and its um, I know some people who took a course on that. And so it seems to me that this, this, this um, idea of rotating leaders is very uh, useful in getting everybody involved. Is that how it works, or am I... It
2: is, and it is, um, it is an amazement to me how many people not only volunteer to do that. In effect, these are people who have never taught or led a letter class, and some who have never been in a meeting before, mm-hmm. are willing to get up, in figuratively, at the head of the class and conduct a discussion for two hours, so, there are a lot of people willing to do that. And the second thing that's astonishing is the good job they do. Mm-hmm. Everybody has a different style. There's no format except that you prepare questions, discussion questions in advance and email them in advance. So, um, they're, they're, everyone in the class has an outline several days before the class. But the people who are doing that, developing the questions and then leading the discussion, they do such a good job. And if they struggle or if the con that discussion isn't going well, then the facilitator can step in, ask a few questions or reframe the questions. But uh, this format of having volunteers from the class lead a class mm-hmm.
1: is, is brilliant because it works. Did, did you work for Osher Institute or were no. you, you were one no. of one of the others? You were, um, Very few people work for
2: Osher. It is a skeleton crew that actually is paid management. Mm -hmm. Um, All the work is done by volunteers, strictly unpaid, and the number of hours um, is—it's amazing how many people volunteer for that over and over. I put in probably, in addition to class time, you know, probably so three hours in class and another probably three hours Mm -hmm. of preparation. For sure. communication. Um, there are committees, I'm on committees that take extra time, but the heads of those committees, you know, probably put in, you know, 10 to 15 hours a week during the time the committees are active. And this is all volunteer mm-hmm. and 100%. Yes. Well, Marco,
0: I just want to be clear that in OSHA, you design the course, the offering, and you are the, the main facilitator. But then our with with the for any given session, does one of the participants volunteer to conduct that discussion, or are you always the the
2: facilitator? Well, um, the I've learned how to actually get people to sign up, and it's all in the design of the sign up sheet. Okay. frankly very simple solutions, <laughs> uh, and not everyone signs up. But it's the ones who've <laughs> been around long enough, you know, they they know what's involved. Um, my role is designing a course that's interesting enough first of all people want to take it and interesting enough that they want to get involved um the second thing the facilitator has to do is find textual material that is also interesting enough that they want to read it every week Mm -hmm. and sometimes the facilitator has to step in and teach a class the facilitator always conducts the first class you yeah, so th- so there's um, um a format mm-hmm. to, 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 i model we all do in different ways the, mm-hmm. the the structure and as i say, step in you know it is, sometimes i've discovered a very effective technique for stepping in and facilitating is i will say the first thing that comes into my mind it's usually extremely low tier babble it's just the first thing that comes into my mind. And I'm sure everyone in the room is thinking, oh, I could say something more brilliant than that. But the thing is, I filled up some space while they're thinking. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. You ask somebody a, a topic to discuss, they don't always pop right out with a dis- something to say. They have to think about it. Yes. So I chatter for a while, gives them time to, it's icebreaking technique. Mm-hmm. <laughs>
0: So, Margot, yeah. um, um, you said something uh, to me about, from obviously for many people, taking a new path is hard work, but not for you. Tell us about that. What is it about? Well, kind of taking new paths that intrigues you, motivates you. I,
2: I'm going to step back once and talk about the hard work. It's okay. kind of essential. It's kind of essential. Um it is extremely easy, I think, for anyone to do something new if they're a hard worker. And some people are, and I'm one of them. I love to work. I always have. I could come home from from a full day in the office. You know. When I was married, my husband did like to cook and he certainly put up with me. But you know, I don't I sit down and I write something. Something. So sometimes it worked, sometimes it was my freelance writing. I don't know what it was, but but i I never got tired of working. I loved it. I still do. And um I have to struggle a little bit now finding quote unquote, work, because of course, nothing is um, nothing is paid for, but a lot of things are appreciated. So yes, <laughs> so part of my challenge now is to do this work, which I love to do but somebody will enjoy or somebody will tell me at least, Oh, that sounds interesting. (laughs) I need some feedback.
0: So there's something else that you, uh, you mentioned to me when we talked earlier, and that is that um, you said, you may have attitudes and attributes that advance the normalizing of women over 70.
2: What is, can you explain that? Normalizing in my head in my writer's brain immediately went to feminizing, which I don't do. I am not a feminist. I, do, I have never in my life done anything thinking this is a woman's point of view, or if I'm a woman, this will help. Or if I'm a woman, this will hurt. I'm just me. And, um, and that attitude translates to age. I'm not a young woman or a middle-aged woman. I'm aware of these things. You know, the first person who reported to me, her mother was younger than me. I'm not in denial or anything, but it um, it has no far no part in defining me. Uh Age, it's just I don't think of age. I I have spent my life not thinking of where I specifically fit in. You know, if you like what I do take it. If you don't like what I do, I'll try something else. Uh-huh. <laughs> hmm. yeah. It's, um, but that's one attitude, which is, um, you know, not to be gender specific or age specific. Um, I think another attitude I have is that I don't know everything. And sometimes one of my attitudes is I'm not so smart. There's <laughs> plenty <laughs> smart people out there, and they're probably smarter than I am. Uh, I've learned over the years that's not totally true, but um, but I forget that all the time. I, I just assume people are as smart as I am and maybe smarter. And I think this attitude communicates. Mm. I think. And um, I think it's important for a lot of women who have worked because we're intimidating, I discovered fairly late in life when I had more time to socialize with people who were just friends and that I was intimidating. I never knew that. To whom? Well, actually, the first person who told me that to my face was my department chair, who was the most intimidating person I knew at the time. Well, one of them, one of them. Anyway, she she told me I intimidated people. I had no idea. And then, then, you know, I started thinking about it. Now I believe it. And and by the way, you know, um, you learn a lot about yourself on Zoom. I mean, for the past year, I've been looking at myself now six hours a week. And um, you can tell a lot about yourself by how, how you act on the screen when you're talking to other people. And I'm not saying that I think I act intimidating, but I think I have a different um expression and a way of holding, conducting myself that's different from a lot of people who just sit back and look like they don't have a clue what's going on you know they might but it doesn't show mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. i look like i know what's going on because i am <laughs> paying attention and um it's a long way around saying that can be intimidating. And, and I think for a lot of, I'll, I'll repeat that because now I think it's important. Um, if you're a working person, whatever you did, you worked a fairly full schedule and then you retire, all of a sudden your colleagues and peers are non-working people, they're, they're social friends. And um, it's, they don't know how to handle working people.
0: What was your experience then? Well, you were still working and many of your friends or some of your friends were were in retirement? What was, I'm sorry, could you repeat that? What was my... Uh, you said about the, the social when, when uh, were you still working and when some of your friends retired?
2: Um, well, some of, I... I was about the last one of my friends to retire, although some of them, believe it or not, are still working part-time. And and we just, we're just friends. You know, we we have a thing in common, which is we worked a lot. And um, it's very easy to to socialize with them. I find it harder and harder to socialize with, to talk to the non-workers. Because so much of my, because I'm still working, in fact. Mm -hmm. you know it's to them I'm not working but they have no idea how hard I'm working and um so so it's you have to look a little harder for people with that attitude of working and I have to work a lot harder at just being a social person Uh I know how to do it believe me I'm I'm not anti-social at all but I um
1: You know, I don't talk about exactly what you mean. (laughs) Yes. And I
2: I hope the people listening do too. But um, I remember when I first joined one of tried one of many book clubs. You know, oh, so nice to meet you. Where do you live? Where are you from? What does your husband do? How many children do you have? How many grandchildren? I had no way of responding to that. Mm -hmm. Didn't interest me. Mm-hmm. I had never been in a situation where conversations start out like that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. it. Um, it's a very good point. And I didn't even try. I thought these people, they can either understand me, but I, I will never. I will understand them. But I mean, not if all we talk about is grandchildren. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> not interesting enough.
0: And yet you do have grandchildren, correct?
2: I have one. Yes. One. Mm-hmm. And he's old. I mean, he's not old, but you know, he's graduated from college last year, uh-huh. going to law school. You know, and he's got a girlfriend. <laughs> Believe me, if he talks to relatives, it's going to be his parents, not his grandmother. So, 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 so no. We we talk, we text. He's mm-hmm. pretty good about texting. We, you know, we're in touch, sort of. But um, I, I would never presume that he's interesting enough to, to bore my friends with my grandson. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> so <laughs> Sorry, Paul. You're a nice kid, but
0: <laughs> uh, what do you see on your your horizon of uh, your future? Do you have well, a- a- aspirations for continuing what you're doing?
2: Uh, yes, things? because I I love what I'm doing because of the research, the little bit of writing I'm able to do, and just putting a proposal together. And I put together a lot of proposals I never actually proposed, but I have, I have a huge document file full of possible proposals. Mm-hmm. And, and interestingly enough, one I threw together and then discarded because I thought no one was be, would be interested. I submitted at the last minute and within 10 minutes, I got six people who wanted to be the co-coordinator. Oh, and if they couldn't be the coordinator, they couldn't wait to take the class. So, you know, I, it was a good idea. I didn't even realize how popular it would be. Anyway, so I'm going to continue doing that. I have mm-hmm. proposals in my head that I can drop in if there's a need for one. So that at the moment is satisfying my writing. And I realized that, oh, by the way, writing is something you can do forever. <laughs> if your mind is working, you can write. Mm-hmm. And um also, one of the things I liked about Osher going back a little bit is that I would be dealing with people where my age is not a disadvantage. Mm-hmm. Um, I felt for a long time that it was a disadvantage in the academic world. Less and less all the time. People are not retiring, but you know, I just I I didn't have the energy to keep up with. Social marketing, <laughs> social media. Um, so, future, more of what I'm doing now, because I like it, keep my eye open for different ways to meet people. I um, my group of contacts is dispersing, and by that, I don't mean dying, and I don't mean getting sick necessarily, but they are going to different places or they are not wanting to go out to dinner anymore or not wanting to drive anymore Mm -hmm. or all kinds of things where they are um, leaving the track that I'm still on. Mm -hmm. So I I have to work at finding people who are, and and they don't have to be working at all. I've, I've met some very interesting new friends who are not working at all, but they're interesting. They did what I did and they think like I think. And, um, and they are also willing to take a risk. Mm-hmm. So um, I, I, just, I just read a review of a book of a, of a man who um, many years ago invited people to come over to his house and cook for him, do the shopping for him, and clean up after the dinner. And he would provide the guests. And he, mm. he um, expanded that thought to the point where he was inviting CEOs and sports celebrities and <laughs> you know, scientists. And mm-hmm. and um, he said, everybody wants to meet new people. Mm-hmm. They're more than happy mm-hmm. to get together if you will introduce them to somebody new and different. So I, mm-hmm. I thought that, that I do know a lot of people, and I've always done that a little bit. Mm-hmm. I'm having lunch with Jane. Would you like to join us? You might enjoy mm-hmm. each other. I, I'm going to do more of that. Nice, and um, all they have to do is be willing to eat lunch. (laughs) um, That's great. And 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 get to the restaurant. I'm not inviting them over. Um, (laughs)
0: Oh well, I like the idea of having them come over and do the cooking.
2: Well, they could come over, but you know they still have to travel. I'm not not sending a driver for them. Okay.
0: Uh, before we close, Margo, anything else you would like to say uh, um, to our listeners? Uh, any last minute, last second? Well,
2: no, but um, in, in, in the best tradition of Twitter, you know, I, I'd like to hear what they're doing. I mean, don't all tweet me, but I um, <laughs> no, but I mean, you know, before I have words for other people, I'd kind of like to know which of my words were interesting. Mm. Um, did anything resonate with you? Did anything bother you? Um, anything you want to follow up on? Do you like Thai food? I mean, you know, I I, I <laughs> want to know. Um, I, I don't want to be in the position of giving advice because it's too easy.
1: Mm-hmm. Well, let me ask you this, Margot. What what would you have told your younger self from from where you sit now? What... Well, at one
2: point, I thought I'd tell my younger self to get a master's degree early, MBA, or I might have. No, I wouldn't have married him. Uh, <laughs> uh, no, I, I I thought of the advice I give, and I but I realized very soon that I am doing exactly what is right for me and always have Mm -hmm. the decisions I made might've been tough or might've seemed highly unusual, but um, they weren't made by accident. And um, so while I don't like the way this sounds, follow your dream, do what you do best. um, I do believe you should do what interests you. Mm -hmm. If it doesn't interest you, you won't do it well and you'll get fired. (laughs) <laughs> if it interests you, um, you will do it well, and people will like doing it with you mm-hmm. because you make it look interesting. You make it look fun. Um, if I like what I'm doing, I even kind of make it look easy. And that that's not just work. I realize it's kind of social. Mm-hmm. I, I don't want to be a loner. I'm not a loner. Mm-hmm. But I do have to work hard at finding people because it's very easy for me to be alone. So a lot of the things I do require the complicity of other human beings, whether it's work or whether it's social. And um at work, of course, you have to do what you like because you'll do it well. Socially, you have to do what you like because you will find the kind of people who will do it with you. Mm-hmm.
0: Us. That's a wonderful note to, to close on, Margot. Thank you so much. Thank for, you. For thank you for inviting today. me
2: and thank you for listening. I've enjoyed listening to you. You ask good questions. <laughs> thank you. <laughs> yes, thank you. That's a compliment. And, thank you.
1: And listeners, please subscribe and leave a review wherever you listen to podcasts. Become an active participant in our community through our Facebook group and no matter your age, participate in our monthly Zoom gatherings. You'll find everything you need to know about Women Over 70 community on womenover70.com. See you next Wednesday on Women Over 70, Aging Reimagined. Thank you for listening to Women Over 70, Aging
0: Reimagined. If you like what you've heard today, please subscribe to our podcast wherever you listen. In what ways are you shattering the myth that women over 70 are no longer relevant or visible? How are you celebrating aging? Join with us. Make your voice heard. Find us at womenover70.com.